happy Wednesday, musingers. It's so good to have you back here on the show for another episode, this time with my very own Vedic meditation teacher. Her name is Yashoda Devi Ma, and she is a Sattva Yoga teacher. She is the co-founder of The Subtle Mind, which is a meditation and conscious living center here in Boulder, Colorado. And she is the founder of Cosmic Women's Tribe. For almost two decades, she has studied under the guidance of her two gurus in India. Yashoda studied psychology and English at Western Oregon University, later becoming a fitness expert and lifestyle consultant in Beverly Hills, California for 13 years. She worked with physical therapists, chiropractors, doctors, and celebrities. She is certified in STOTT, Stott Pilates, AFFA, ACSM, NASM, and EatWise. Her meditation and yoga training has been extensively in the Himalayas of India. She discovered through her work with body transformation that we as humans have a tremendous healing capacity if we enter in through mind and thought and emotions. After a decade of working in the fitness industry, she dis disappeared off the map to journey into the mind and consciousness. After 10 years of deep meditation, supreme knowledge, numerous travels to India, living with her meditation guru and traveling the world, observing the Vedic teachings, she plunged back into life after becoming a mother to bring these effortless teachings from India to householders all over the world. She simply teaches her students how to have a direct experience beyond their own individual thinking. Yashoda is based here in Boulder, Colorado and travels all over the world. She works privately mentoring individuals on how to enhance their creative intelligence, end personal suffering, activate full mental potential, identify irrelevant patterns such as emotional, mental, and physical, and align one with their truest nature and purpose. I've been wanting to get Yashoda on the podcast to talk about Vedic meditation and its many, many, many benefits and how it's different from other forms of meditation because it's wonderful for people who are wanting to have a little bit more control over their mindset. Even though we all think we're masters of the minds, there's a lot more to it. And we get into it in this podcast about how we have so many thoughts recycling day after day after day after day. And we typically don't feel like we have too much free will around those thoughts. So Vedic meditation is a type of meditation that's great for people who are overthinkers and obsessive compulsive people with these strategies and coping mechanisms for controlling every little piece of their life and who desire a break from that. So stick around for this episode with Yashoda. She is phenomenal. I'm so blessed to have her in my life here in Boulder, and you are going to love her. Before we head on over, the review of the week comes from Pandora's BFF. She says, just what I needed to hear today with five stars. Thank you. Nailed a lot of what I've been feeling, thinking. Sometimes difficult to get out of the headspace and look at the bigger picture. Keep on keeping on. I don't know exactly which episode this is referring to, but thank you so much for sharing that. You published that sometime in October, so I'm assuming it was one of the recent ones. And if you want to get into your heart and get out of your head, you're going to love this episode because that's what we're talking about today with Yashoda. Um, one announcement that I want to share with you guys is that I am going to start something new for the month of December. I am going to be going live on Facebook every Thursday at 2 p.m. MST. 
This is an experiment. I'm giving myself this experiment to see what it's like, if I will enjoy it, if you will enjoy it, if you get much out of it. So for the next consecutive four Thursdays, I plan to do a Facebook Live in the Mind Body Musings Tribe uh, Facebook group. So make sure that you're joined there. If you want to join us, the link to that is going to be facebook.com slash groups slash MBM tribe. I will also make sure that I have a link to that in the show notes for this episode 181. So you can just go over there to my website, click the link for the Mind Body Musings podcast tribe, join the group, request, I will approve, and then you'll be able to join in on the topic. For our first topic, we're going to be speaking on boundaries. I'm thinking that I want to do a boundary series for December because it is the holidays and a lot of us are feeling tugged and pulled to go in this direction and that, to honor this person and that person, but forget to honor ourselves. So remember, that is going to be every Thursday. I'm not going to mention it on another podcast this upcoming podcast or the next one because I've already recorded those and those are ready to be sent out and I'm not going to go back and edit it. So you just want to make sure that you follow along and go ahead and make a, a note in your notepad or on your phone to go ahead and add yourself to that group if you want in on those Facebook lives and come prepared with questions. Ask yourself what questions you have around boundaries that you want to ask me. It's going to be live, so I'll answer for as, as long as I can go, and that'll be a great way for us to interact with each other. And last but not least, I haven't been mentioning this for a while, but I am still an active lover, user, and supporter of Beauty Counter, which is a safe beauty product brand free of 1,400 different chemicals and parabens and artificial ingredients that you find in so many other beauty and skincare products. So if you're looking to switch to safer in your household to have better skincare so that your largest organ is taken care of, you can check out all the different face products. You can ask me questions, whatever you want at beautycounter.com slash Madeline Moon. They are a sponsor of this podcast. So if you're looking for some really healthy, um, free from chemical face wash or moisturizer, remember your skin is the largest organ. So it's absorbing everything, everything is getting into your body. If you want to learn more about this, I actually watched this documentary called The Human Experiment, which taught me so much, changed my life, influenced me to sign up for Beauty Counter, and I just love it. I love it. It's all I use anymore. I don't mention it all too often, but I do want to bring it back because I know so many people are still very curious about what it's all about. So feel free to email me and ask me any questions if you're interested in joining my Beauty Counter team or if you just want to order some new stuff, maybe a holiday present. There's lots of great holiday, exclusive holiday products, actually, body scrubs and bronzers and um, delicious smelling, delicious feeling products for Christmas and the new year. So I will also have a link to that Beauty Counter website on the show notes for this. I'm ready to head on over. Let's go listen to Yashoda's beautiful insight and wisdom. I'll see you there. You are now entering the Mind Body Musings podcast. If you find yourself hungry for growth, eager for inspiration, and longing for self-improvement, welcome home. Hosted by motivational speaker and life coach Maddie Moon, you can be certain you will learn how to change your life in magical ways in each and every episode. Are you ready to stop caring what other people think? Is it time you break limiting beliefs and empower your whole being? Do you know how to use the one life you've been given to the absolute fullest? Join Maddie 
Patty Moon and her inspirational guests every Wednesday for the life-altering discussions on freedom, vulnerability, abundance, and so much more. For more insight, grab your free gift on MaddieMoon.com and uncover your own once-in-a-lifetime greatness within. If you have kind words to say, feel free to leave a review on the show in iTunes or send your favorite episode to a friend. We look forward to hearing your insights and growing together in unexpected ways. And now, without further ado, here's your host, Maddie Moon. Here we are with my own meditation teacher, Miss Yashoda Devi Ma. And she is a master teacher of Vedic meditation. Uh, I think, I believe, I'll have to ask her exactly if this is true, but I think she's one of the only Vedic meditation teachers in Colorado. And of course, she lives here in Boulder, which is so fortunate for me and the community here because being someone who felt so detached from meditation because it was such a struggle for so many different reasons for me, which I'm sure we'll get into today. I feel very blessed to have found Yashoda through one of my, one of our mutual friends, and we'll talk about her as well, I'm sure. But I am just so delighted and so excited to have her on the show today because if you guys are anything like me, meditation has been very challenging with the whole try to clear your mind completely aspect of it. So today we're going to be talking about all about Vedic meditation and how it can be super powerful for people like me and maybe you and uh, anyone else listening that struggles with clearing the mind and getting rid of, let's say, anxiety or overthinking. So without further ado, welcome to the podcast, Miss Yashoda. Hi, such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And you just got back from India. Tell me about your trip. Yeah, it was amazing. I've been back for about a week, but um, did a retreat uh, and taught at a summit that one of my gurus uh, put together for the very first time. So it was such an honor to be able to teach alongside with him, as well as some pretty amazing teachers like uh, Kia Miller and Tommy Rosen and Gurmuk and some powerhouse teachers. So um, it was a wonderful time away uh, with my group, powerful people in India, and it's a place that really puts you in grace because you kind of are choiceless <laughs> with how it unfolds. There's, um, I think, probably the most beautiful lesson you can learn from India is that everything is perfectly imperfect, and it's on Indian time. And if you surrender to that, you're okay. And as my guru would say, surrender or die, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> That's so. awesome. I was following along on Instagram, watching y'all's like morning meditations together and the beautiful sunsets and y'all shopping for dresses. And <laughs> oh my gosh, so gorgeous. And that photo, the photo that we're using for the um, header image for this podcast interview. Oh my gosh, so freaking beautiful! And it's just ah, I can't, I can't wait. I can't wait to to join you someday in India, whenever that may be. Yes, yes, definitely next one. There's a couple coming next year. So oh, sweet, yes. Uh, I'll keep you informed of that. And, and the picture, I just have to say that picture is amazing because it's another it's one of my students who's the photographer so that's very special alexis arling and it was on what we call the ghat which is right along the banks of the ganga and it's the one that my guru grew up on 
as he would run across the street from his house and he would go down and spend time by the Ganga. And so a lot of special ceremony in that particular place that I'm sitting on as the Ganga is going by me, um, very powerful place. So it's very special to me that uh, we get to use that photo. Mm, that's so special. That's so beautiful. And this is a little bit besides the point, but with in, in India, can you speak on a little bit about the the different mindsets there in regards to death? Because I know that there are the rituals in the river when people die and the family members. And I think y'all got to see that or you went there as in your retreat you're with your group. You know, and I didn't take my group to that particular place. It's called Veranasi. Um, it's a huge blessing in, in the Vedic traditions, they believe in reincarnation. And so it's really just the body that um, is dropping. So they would say the body has dropped um, and consciousness has expanded. So as you leave your body, uh, you leave in the conscious state that you're in, which is why I'm so passionate about what I teach through meditation. It's about the expansion of consciousness. Um, and so in India, it's a great honor to um, have your body merge with Ganga Ma, essentially. And so down in Veranasi, um, which is a little bit further down than where we were in Rishikesh. And Rishikesh is the birthplace of yoga. Um, but w when you drop your body, it's just this great honor that if you end up in Veranasi, it's where they, they cremate and they take the ashes and then they merge it into Ganga, which is essentially, if we take all ideas of this is India and America and all of these different places, it's really, we come from the earth and we merge back to the earth. So it just makes it really simple and really connected to all human beings of, um, that great good honor that we go back to where we're from. I love this tradition and I love that type of mentality because for me, at least the fear of death has been very debilitating. Like my whole life, I created these very obsessive compulsive disorder, like behaviors as a kid, because I tried to constantly make sure that the house was safe and this and that, and everything is in control and the anxiety around natural disasters or catastrophes and all that cultivated these OCD patterns and then eventually eating disorders and control and blah, blah, blah. And so when I hear stories like this, I get super pumped and I, I resonate it with, with it so much. Cause I'm just like, wow, this is so beautiful. This whole other culture that celebrates the, the moving on the dropping. And it's so, it resonates with me, but at the same time, it's so foreign. It's like a totally foreign concept that I can't even imagine, but I love, I love hearing about that. And I love the way you describe it because it does sound like such a, a beautiful way to look at death instead of the way that most of us see it here, at least in America. I know. I mean, I was raised Catholic, so I totally understand and I'm not saying anything against Catholicism, but just um, that frame of mind of thinking that it's just one lifetime puts a lot of pressure on us. And there's 7.5 billion of us in the world and that we all have a fear of death. Um, that we all have to work through at some point because we all have an expiration date. Um, the minute that we're born, we're already dying. And so it, it's a really interesting concept for us. And so when we really start to find um, more elevated ways of connecting to the essence of what we are, which is energy and its consciousness, and that 
this is this is a journey and this is one part of the journey which is this body but there's more that's beyond that and when we start to experience that through subtle practices like meditation when we're literally able to move beyond our bodies and experience consciousness itself it's not something that's read it's a direct experience there's relief there's relief within our our soul that um that this is just part of the journey. There's more to come once this body is gone. And so, at least for me, it, um, it makes a lot of sense why, partially why I'm so passionate about getting to my practice and expansion, expanding my, my state of consciousness. Because as I leave this body, whatever state of consciousness I'm in will then be the state of consciousness, um, that I'll continue to be in beyond this body. Ooh, it's so exciting. Like I love, I love right? to talk about that. Yeah. It's really, it's really powerful. So going back into your life, I want to give my listeners an idea of where you've come from because hearing you talk about these beautiful concepts and consciousness and changing your mindset towards, um, death and, and what's after for, for, for someone who's not familiar with with you or with this concept, it may be like, oh, well, that's cool. You can believe that way because <laughs> you're all conscious and, and you, you probably were born that way and you just have this ability to not let anything get under your skin. But I know that you've had you, you've had um, totally you've had all the struggles, you've had all the things happen in your life that so many people are going to resonate with. So tell us a little bit more about your upbringing and uh, maybe some of the ventures you went into around college or um, before you found meditation and then how you found Vedic meditation. Absolutely. I mean, I think uh, the before and the after is what we're all seeking. It's the inspiration. At least that's why I love transformation of any kind, to know that it's possible. So it's valuable to tell our stories. Um, my where to begin of a lifetime. <laughs> but really, um, what makes most sense to tell about is starting off, um, I was adopted. Most people probably don't know that. I was adopted when I was young and when I was a baby and raised with my mom and dad, the only mom and dad that I know, um, but separated from my family. Uh, this was a big story that I had uh, growing up, the adoption and abandonment and not knowing where I come from or where I thought I was coming from. So that was a big, uh, a big thing for me growing up is I wanted to understand where do I come from? Why do I do the things that I do? Because innately within my DNA and my genetics naturally from my birth parents, I love psychology. I love the body. I wanted to know what the mind was about. I wanted to know why I did the things that I did. And though I had parents who could give me answers logically or whatever, they really just didn't know my background because back then it was uh, closed adoptions. And so you didn't, you weren't given information on your family. You didn't know your genetic makeup. You didn't know where you came from. You didn't know anything. So you kind of just wandered around the world um, making up stuff, kind of. 
is the only way that I can say it. Just wondering or daydreaming, like, what what are my parents like and what's happening? And what, you know, somebody like me who's very detailed and, and a hypersensitive person and, um, and, and again, loving the mind and wanting to know how everything works from body, mind, and soul. Um, I needed answers and I didn't have them. And I felt very... I think in the long run through my childhood, it made me very angry and frustrated, to be honest. It's probably the most that accumulated in me. And, and, and sadness um, through my teenage years of just not knowing. Um, I was also raised Catholic. And, um, you know, I love religion. I love spirituality. Um, I've always been attracted to it my whole life, seeking more depth, seeking what's the source, seeking conversations that I felt um, had meaning. That's I've always I always looked for that when I was younger, uh, just wanting to know and to respect different cultures. Um, but I was raised Catholic, so I had a lot of. Um, what I don't like, which is dogma, um, handed to me. And a lot of it never made sense to me. It never felt natural um, how religions then uh, create a belief system for you then to digest. And I'm somebody who likes to think for myself. And so I was a very much a rebel growing up. Of I was kind of the child and the the student per se that always questioned everything. Well, why? Why? My mom would always laugh at me when I was a little girl. I would say, why this mama? And I would ask so much. And she would say, why do purple moons jump over or purple cows jump over the moon? And that would perplex me. It would get me to stop asking why. Um, but in the long run, it never stopped me from asking why. I wanted to know answers, and I wasn't willing just to go and sit and listen to people talk if I didn't feel that they were not the embodiment. I was always looking for that connection of harmony. You know, if I went to church, I wanted to listen to a priest who was actually happy and had a life that I wanted to model after, and I found that really hard in, in Catholicism, most of the priests that I loved, um, they left for marriage and for love. I always thought that was interesting, and I didn't understand why the church wouldn't just let priests speak of the love of God and create family at the same time. So I questioned those things, if they weren't natural for people. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the background of me growing up, really, that I was, I was an athlete, so I was very much into the body and wanting to understand the body. Um, again, I thought from a very young age that the mastery of the mind is where it was at. And if I could figure out how to do that, then I could figure out life. Um, and then once I was, once I was 18, um, and very, like I said, very much a rebel, very much a black sheep in my family. I am happy that I have an eight-year-old son that's nothing like me, <laughs> um, where I would just press my parents and push their buttons and, um, uh, like I said, question everything. But when I was 18, I found my, my birth parents 
and reunited with them and connected with them. And so that kind of launched me into a whole different patterning in life. I was, I was that model child on the other end of being a star athlete, being, um, you know, homecoming, uh, ASB vice president, all of those things that looked really good for college. And then I was ready to go to college and study psychology and I want to be a sports psychologist and help athletes, you know, move through their mental blocks. And these were the things that I aspired towards. But once I met my birth family, it, it, it really took me in a different direction. Um, my birth mother lived in Los Angeles, and that got me to move away from Oregon um, and go down to L.A. and live with her. That was never my plan. I That was the beginning of me really searching for answers of where do I come from. And in the beginning, I thought I was looking for those those superficial answers that I felt that were kept from me my whole life. And what I realized when all of those answers came to me is that I was seeking the depth of life. I really wanted to know where do we come from. I needed to know what the source was. And that's what launched me into exploring different paths. When I lived in Los Angeles, it's got a lot of diversity. And I found connections to a lot of different groups. I found yoga, um, started doing yoga when I was probably 19, um, still going to school for Western psychology which and Western literature uh, because I love mythology, but I, I felt an emptiness in it. So I always feel like I was seeking something that wasn't empty. So I'd still go to church, and that still felt empty, but I'd still go trying to find some sort of richness. Um, I had a lot of good friends that were Israeli, and I probably spent most of my early 20s celebrating um, more Jewish holidays than Catholic holidays. Uh, my best friend was Israeli, and they were my my family, essentially, that took me in, and I traveled to Israel with them, spent time uh, there, and traveling through Bethlehem, and traveling through these sacred lands, walking the same path that Jesus walked, being in the same tomb where he rose again, and just um, going to the Wailing Wall and feeling the power of of that, which is incredible. I'll never forget. And, you know, I found myself in my 20s just searching, searching and seeking for, for richness. And um, it took me to different countries. I always traveled. I loved going to Europe. I loved going into cathedrals. I loved, I would sit in France. I remember sitting in France and Paris on Christmas and doing their mass all in French. I didn't know what they were saying, but I just wanted to feel it. And so that was really just the beginning of, of probably what I didn't understand, which was consciousness. I needed to feel. I was looking for a direct experience, and I was still seeking happiness that I wanted to go to somebody who, when I looked in their eyes, they were actually happy. When they spoke these words of wisdom, they actually lived them, or they exuded that. Because I felt like um, how we 
how we learn in the world. The great good fortune of having been adopted and reunited with my parents is that I got to see hands-on that we innately have things that are that are just put in our DNA. There's just ways of being that we are. We're a lot like our parents naturally whether we're raised with them or not that's it's fascinating to observe having been in an adoptee to see that imprint but on the other end we are imprinted through consciousness and through observation of our environment um who's who we surround ourselves around um is a huge pivotal impact of of who we are and so that's what i was searching for as i was moving down the spiritual path and luckily um when i hit my mid-20s i was living in los angeles i was a fitness trainer so i was huge into the body i worked with people in in the entertainment industry with celebrities but on the other side i worked with people physical therapists i worked with cardiologists i rehabilitated people i was kind of known for um opening people, the realignment of posture to open their heart, essentially. Um, and what I found through that work was that our emotions were attached to our body. A lot of our hurts and pains came through our emotions. Um, and when I started discovering that I could work with people um, through the psychology of that and through movement, which is basically somatic healing, um, that I could get them to move into a whole new perspective of thinking if I could get their body to release the pains. And at that time, I probably didn't understand it like I do now. Um, but I knew that um, when I was in the fitness industry that it was limited. Though I loved transformation, I felt like I needed more connection to really healing people on a deeper level as myself. And so probably when I was 25, I just, I woke up in life. It was like my slap in the face of what are you doing? Who are you? Um, you met your birth parents, but you still don't have the answers. Um, and I felt, I felt empty and I felt unhappy and disconnected. And I didn't know, I just didn't know how to connect and whatever I was open, whatever self-help I did therapy, I worked with psychologists, um, you know, I ate well, I worked out, I kind of, I did, felt like I did everything perfectly, did supplements, you know, for vitamins, I felt like I was as balanced as you could be, I was healthy, I rarely got sick, but I wasn't happy, so at the end of the day, I would go home, I had a nice apartment with a nice car, and dated cool people, and whatever, but at the end of the day, I just felt like extremely unhappy, and that pissed me off, I just felt angry and frustrated, and um, stuck. And it felt like, you know, nothing that's being offered is helping me. And so my frame of mind was really, to be honest, like, what's the point of life? Like, I'd rather just not even be here. Um, so it was definitely a turning, a, a, a turning point, in a sense, of 
though there's nothing on the outside that I could say like was rock bottom. It's not like I lost anything or got sick or was into drugs, though I, you know, dabbled in things. Um, it was really my mind. My mind cranked. I was a deep thinker. I was sensitive. I couldn't deal with people's energy. So I would hide myself from the world and I would oscillate in and out where I'd be extreme. Um, out in the world a lot, a lot of presence and working and, you know, always working, but just more social. And then I couldn't take it. And then I'd hide for like weeks, two weeks. I wouldn't like not answer any of my text messages. I would fade out from the world, which then created more anger and frustration within myself. Um, I couldn't deal if people were negative or sick. I just didn't understand that I was processing people's subtle energetic bodies that I'm, you know, healer. And essentially that was just information coming to me, but I didn't know, I didn't know how to deal with it. So when I felt overwhelmed, I just disappeared. And I found that lifestyle to be very straining and displeasing. And so thankfully, um, I came, I was doing my laundry at a laundromat in LA of all places in West Hollywood. Um, and which I despised doing that I didn't have laundry in my apartment. And I would wait till last minute. So I would sit in this laundromat for hours because I'd probably have about 15 loads at one time. And this guy came in um, and we, we, you know, stirred up a conversation and his name is Light Watkins, and he's now, cut to many years later, a very well-known Vedic meditation teacher. Um, a very cool guy. But at the time, he was not that then. He was he was a yoga teacher slash model in L.A. And um, we just started talking, and we exchanged information. I gave him my email. And probably for a good year, I received his newsletters. And like most newsletters, I just tossed them. And probably one year later, when I was feeling total despair, <laughs> sitting in my apartment watching like Entourage, I'm sure, um, not knowing what to do with myself in life and where to leave and how to get from point A to point B, I think I got off my couch, I went on my computer, pulled up my emails, and Light's email or newsletter was there. And in the newsletter, he spoke about this meditation guru that he had and how amazing he was and how meditation was revolutionizing his life and, you know, went on and on about how great it was and um, that he was coming to Los Angeles and he was doing a free one hour talk on Vedic meditation. And um, at that moment when I was reading it, it literally was maybe two hours away from the time that talk that he was going to have, um, two hours away from when I was reading this newsletter. And it was literally maybe a mile away from where I lived. And when you live in Los Angeles, when something's that close, you really don't have an excuse not to go. So, of course, I stepped away from the computer and I went back and sat on my couch. And at that mind, I, at that time, I had a mind that was very critical of things, um, very suspicious of things. And so I sat and tried to come up with every excuse of why I couldn't go to the talk, 
why it was stupid. Um, <laughs> I, I had noticed that they used a residential address and that it, I knew that it was on Laurel, you know, Laurel Canyon. And it was below sunset. And I was like, oh, they're in an apartment. And of course, I judged that. I was like, oh, they're in an apartment. How weird, these guys. And I mean, my mind just spiraled into every way possible of how I could resist this. Um, but this this higher knowingness within myself, this voice was just like, shh, just go. And so I went. And of course, I went resisting it in every moment possible. And I arrived and there was probably 70 people packed outside. And I thought, wow. And of course, then I sat and judged all of them. And I thought, oh, these guys are weird, hippies, whatever, <laughs> judging all of it. And then I saw somebody that um, went to my yoga vinyasa class. And I was like, oh, okay, someone I know. And we connected. <laughs> And then all of us packed into this apartment that was actually quite beautiful, done very nicely and clean. And and um, this guy, Tom Knowles, who was the teacher, the guru, sat down, looked very clean, had beautiful hands and feet, <laughs> and started speaking. And the minute he spoke, he was so intelligent. The intelligence that flew out of his mouth, the the understanding of um, the body, of the mind. Um, speaking from a science-based background, he spoke my language. It wasn't airy-fairy. It wasn't um, what I like to say mood-making, which somebody's making something up and uh, creating a mood. It wasn't any of that. And at that time, my frame of mind was a science. I understood the body and I wanted to know the mind. Um, he knew neuroscience and he spoke facts about wellness, about the effect of how this practice would um, help my wellness, how it would affect my, how my thinking would be affected um, and cleared. And from the thinking being cleared, that then my body would then feel better. Um, he just spoke my language and there was a science to it and there was a structure to it. There was a course and it was laid out and it was a four day course and every day had um more science-based information of understanding what it was that I was doing in meditation. And like you had said in the beginning, Maddie, um, there's this misconception of meditation. And like you, I was the same. The people had given me meditation CDs and books, and I sat down and I tried to do them, and I could never do it. And it just made me frustrated, and it made me angry. And then I would tell them they were stupid, whoever gave them to me. And I would just say, like, I'm not that person. I'm very active and I work out and I'm like ADD and I just, I'm not that person. I can't sit still and I can't shut my mind off and all of those things, all of those things that all of us feel prior to having a, a deep understanding of what meditation is and not only that, being taught an effortless technique. And so thankfully, um, having been attracted to Vedic meditation um, and experiencing it, the minute that I learned in the first day, I was having 
amazing experiences. My body felt good. My mind was relieved. I was starting to feel a sense of hope because prior to that, I was starting to feel hopeless. And um, the, the, the great thing uh, is that there's quick results. And so I had quick results. And I knew in that first week that that's what I would be known for. I knew I'd become a teacher. I just didn't know when. And I was like, this is it. This is what I'm doing in life. And and like everyone else in the beginning, it was different. It wasn't what I was raised with. Um, Vedic meditation, you know, we're very neutral. This is why it just is natural. The, the Veda itself just means knowledge. It's not a religion. It's So when we say knowledge, it's knowledge of consciousness expanding and merging with the laws of nature. So all of us that care about Mother Earth and we talk about saving this planet, it just means that, that we become awake enough to start to align with what this Earth needs and what we need as humans. And that makes sense. So... You know, it wasn't really about India, though India is the, the, the heartbeat of where all of this comes from. It's the birthplace of these technologies and their technologies is what I would call them. It's, it, uh, it's technology to awaken human consciousness and our potential. So it's so exciting. Um, it comes from a different, very different space. And uh, without continuing to go on and on about my life, that, that was just my turning point. The, the rest is history after that. I've been practicing for 15 years and teaching for the last four and had a very strong connection with my guru and traveling the world for, you know, seven plus years with him and living with him and going to India on and off for a decade. And it's just revolutionized my life. And I feel blessed to give this to whoever is willing and desiring. I'm not interested in converting people. I'm not interested in standing outside with signs or um, I'm not selling you anything. I'm just here to give you something when you're ready. And when you're ready, like me, you just run a marathon with it and you start connecting to the nature of who you are. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Before I move on to my next question, because I have so many, um, you just made my job as an interviewer so easy because your story was just laid out there so beautifully. Like, thank you for, for sharing all those different parts of your story and your background from the adoption to Catholicism and your travels going over to Bethlehem and, and being a questioner and seeking more. And then how crazy that is that just one day you were in that laundry mat and, and that happened. Like it's, it's so divine, right? Like right. all of that is just so divinely purposeful and put into your life for a reason. And, and I love hearing your story also because I, I resonate with, with a lot that happened in your life. Like I was raised not in a, um, a Catholic household, but Baptist. But then I went on to get an English degree at a college. And then I went in, right into fitness industry and taught in that way. And I remember one time you were explaining um, to our group, you were talking about how you had this anxious mind where you would be up at night, like the middle of the night, color coordinating your closet <laughs> and getting everything figured out because that gave you like this sense of like everything is in its place, all the blues, yeah. all the pinks. And I was so like that as well. And there are still moments where I feel stressed in life and I'll find myself walking around my kitchen, just replacing things and moving them around and getting things in their order and like obsessively cleaning. 
I wouldn't say obsessively because that puts a negative spin on it, but I will go down that path sometimes to deal with stress. And for me, it's like, all right, that's a step in the right direction. It's, (laughs) it's not harming anything. It's actually getting things nice and clean, but there's also that, that, uh, boundary, that limit where you go a little bit overboard and things are a little bit too organized and too clean and it stops being a lived in home. But anyways, I love hearing that because you also found um, Vedic meditation at 26, and so did I. So it seems really cool. Yeah. The, the steps there. So, um, geez, I have so many questions about you specifically that I want to share. But for the sake of uh, moving into the, the Vedic meditation and its differences, can you explain what what's different about Vedic meditation from other types of meditation, mainly in regards to the flowing of thoughts? Because I think this is one of the aspects of this particular type of meditation that's going to get people more excited if they understand this, because I actually just have, I have a client that I've been working with for a year, one of my one-on-one coaching clients. And you showed as I've been asking you like, where's a Vedic meditation teacher here and here and here. <laughs> Cause all my clients are asking for teachers, but one in particular asked for a teacher and, um, she, she ended up doing the course. Great. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm so happy. And she's so happy. She's like, whoa, there's so many, there's so many things about this type of meditation that made this process easier for me and a relief. So could you dive deeper into what makes this effortless? Absolutely. Um, one of the main differences is that this particular technique is not about concentration and focus. Um, from the Vedic meditation perspective with when we focus and when we concentrate, what happens in that spectrum is that we begin to um, go into a place where we ignore, right? You know, when you're really focused on something outside of meditation, somebody could be saying your name and you probably wouldn't even hear them. And in that sense, we're not ignoring we're 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 creating this all inclusiveness when we when we close our eyes so when we close our eyes we create the space of everything is okay that's another big one um that we're not used to in life we're used to things being right and wrong so when we close our eyes and we go into a spectrum that everything is okay it brings great relief <laughs> to be able to sit we also sit with um, our backs against something we also to to allow for ourselves not to strain because nothing about this meditation is straining Um, we also sit comfortably and if that means that you need to stretch your legs out or you sit on a chair with your feet down again that decreases strain within the meditation Um, and we use mantra so when I say mantra, they're just essentially sounds and vibrations, sounds and vibrations that are intended to have no meaning. So in the sense of us listening to classical music, it's it's just a just a nice sound, right? Um, when our minds are able to have something to then work with, it allows for this freedom of honoring our natural way of thinking. So what's quite different in Vedic meditation is we're not going into the mind to then concentrate against our thoughts. We're not um, concentrating against noises we might hear. 
We're not doing any of those things. What my guru's guru who cognized this technique, what he understood is how we naturally think. And how we naturally think is that our mind cranks because we're creative intelligence. We're here to be creative, intelligent beings um, who are are giving and receiving, essentially, right? And so we're not here to stop thought. If we weren't thinking, we'd be dead, <laughs> right? So that takes one huge relief off of all of us that we close our eyes and we don't think that we need to stop our thinking. That's impossible to do. Right. Um, so that's big, big, big. We're here to work with the thoughts and it's not even um, we're not actually working with our thoughts, but we're just we're letting them be um, because of the understanding that we have with our minds and our thinking processes. Our mind is always going to be working um, towards greater happiness. It's designed that way. So how we think, our mind will have uh, thoughts where maybe conflicts come in and then it moves towards resolution. It's always moving in the direction of greater happiness. And so when we close our eyes in Vedic meditation, we're not here to deny that process. That's a big part of the process, actually. It's part of the divine feminine. Um, this, what we call, um, Shakti. And just in regular terms, that would be our infinite organizing power. Right? We don't want to deny our infinite organizing power. That's our divine feminine. That's half of what we are. And so when, when we go into, um, the Vedic meditation, we use sound and vibration. Um, because we know the mind is going to wander and our essence loves to be free. The mind's going to jump back and forth between thought and between the sound and vibration. And because the sound and vibration works on the level of no meaning, it's much more charming than the thoughts that we sit with on a regular basis. Science has proven, a, a scientist from Stanford actually proved many years ago, and it's probably a higher volume now, but that humans on a regular basis who are non-meditators, which is majority of the world, they're thinking 60,000 thoughts per day. And within those 60,000 thoughts per day, pretty much 87 to 90% of them are recycled. So that means that we wake up every day and we think the same thing over and over. And if you were like me prior to my practice 15 years ago, you were mad, you were angry, and you were frustrated because you're thinking the same thing, mm -hmm. and you're stuck, and you couldn't move forward. Um, so when we're in meditation, we know that the mind's going to have this high volume of thinking, definitely in the beginning of, of a new practice. But because we're honoring the freedom of the mind roaming and how we use the mantra, this is what sets it apart from everything. The all-inclusiveness the fact that we're using sound and vibration, how we use the mantra is very particular. It's it's a science. Um, and how our mind oscillates between both. And the oscillation between thought and sound is super important. And just in the simplest way of explaining, it's super important because prior to a meditating mind, all we know is being stuck in our head, in our intellect, and in what we think we know. And we don't know how to move beyond that. The only times that we move beyond that 
are like hiking and nature, whatever your natural talent is, um, sports games. There's moments where we say, oh, man, I was in the zone. I was in the flow, whatever that is. Those are going beyond your thought moments. And this is what meditation is establishing for us to be in the zone all the time, which we love when we fall in love with people, when we go on a good date and it's awesome and we're not in our heads and time goes by. We don't know where the time goes by or we're with our best friends. All those moments, that's what we're creating when we're going into um, Vedic meditation or any meditation, but Vedic meditation is just easier and it gets you to move beyond your thought faster. And so that's kind of the main difference. It's just we're not concentrating, we're not focusing, we're not using breath within our meditation, we're just using sound and vibration in a very effortless way. And, and going back to what I was saying about the oscillating mind, what it creates is choice, right? So all of us that grew up with religion, um, they talk about free will, right? When we're not in a meditating mind, we don't have free will. Mm. We're just stuck in this ever-repeating known. Mm. When we start meditating, it's the beginning and, and day one, session one. Even if it doesn't feel different for you, it is different for you. Session one is is the beginning of your liberation. It's the beginning of you experiencing beyond your ever-repeating known into choice. Oh, my God, I have choice. I don't actually have to think like that. I don't actually have to be stuck in that. I don't actually have to be negative. Oh, my God, there is abundance beyond what I think. There are choices. I am no longer limited. That's the power of what all of this is. And, and in, in, in more technical terms, this is what we would call transcendence, um, which is also hugely mis, um, misunderstood. A lot of people, maybe even in the meditation industry, will say that it's, a, it's an escape. It's far from. Transcendence is being. So we're, that's not an escape. We're just moving beyond our mundane thinking that we've been stuck in that's crippling us and causing us suffering and we're moving towards infinite possibility which is beyond your own limited intellect and there when we can oscillate between the two and we start merging them there's where life starts to happen and freedom and joy and bliss because we start discovering how to get unstuck naturally yeah, I love the bliss conversation. That's something that you speak on a lot. And and I remember in, in the intro talk that you did that I first went to, you just kind of you br- briefly touched on this, but you were talking about how people will say, oh, well, I, 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 my meditating is riding my bike or my meditating is yoga and that's how I really get into the meditative state. And that was so me where I was always using that as a reason not to get into actual sitting down being still meditation because I thought, well, I get that those benefits in, in my yoga classes. And you brought to, to our attention that this is getting into a meditative state, but it doesn't teach you how to continue that throughout your day. So you're going into your yoga class, you're experiencing this beautiful, um, 
transcendence in a way and, and enjoying being in your body, but then you leave and then someone cuts you off as you're driving home and you might be right back into it with the thoughts. And then that's so interesting. You pointed out like the free will that I never really thought about it <laughs> that way. Like, cause that's so true. And that's another reason why I came I finally was like, okay, fine. I'll let's do this whole Vedic meditation thing. My friend Victoria keeps telling me about it. She keeps inviting me to this intro talk by Yashoda. I'll do it. <laughs> fine. Whatever. <laughs> Took me three tries and I finally went. But what was going on for me was like this exact thought after thought after thought after thought all day long. And it was the recycling one. And you were talking about this saying how we have the same dang thoughts cycling through our heads all day long. And I was like, what? Oh my goodness. Like, this is so true. I kept having these same thoughts creeping and creeping that were very negative because at the time I was going through just this very traumatic experience and I wanted to find a way to have more control over my ability to, to, to let go, to be, to mm -hmm. let it be there and not judge it. And then through that process of letting those thoughts be there, not judging them and doing the meditation, them dissolving and me creating more of this bliss. And that was extremely powerful for me. And I can tell you that I have experienced shifts in the way I communicate first and foremost. The thoughts are getting there, definitely better. But I've noticed even over the holidays, there was some family stuff that was going on, family drama. And uh, I felt so not in that. Like normally with my parents and my sister, we all, we're all fire signs. We're all fire, 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 fire. And how we communicate. And I was realizing how much more water was in the way I was speaking so much more fluid and so much mm. more flow and letting go and, and taking a step back and seeing the dynamics between my family and this thing that was going on and being able to watch it and not get super deep into it and, and let myself think before I speak. And that's something I was told since I was a kid, like think before you speak and it makes sense, but it was so much more natural where I, I, I wanted to think to myself, Hmm, how involved do I want to be in this? Do I, do I want to be involved in it? Do I not do? Let me think about the consequences of, if I speak up, how I'm going to be involved in this and communicating with so much more authenticity. That's something that I can see very easily now is when people are covering up their true feelings with passive aggressiveness or sarcasm or pointing fingers saying you, 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 not me, um, those types of things. And not to say that, I don't do that too. Of course, there are times where I don't want to speak my true feelings out of fear of being vulnerable, but I'm so much better and, and I've been working on this for a while, but I've noticed the next level and I've noticed the next level and I'm going to attribute it to, to this meditation because it has been helping me <laughs> in a new way to be able to look at what's going on as Michael Singer talks about in the untethered soul, really take that bird's eye view and slow down and not, and have free will, like be able to <coughs> choose. I'm making a choice in this moment. Do I want to participate? And if I do, how am I going to participate? And that's really cool. I think that's, I mean, way more than cool. That's kind of life-changing. Yeah, it's life-changing for sure. Um, so I do want to ask you um, about the the amount of it because that was something that kind of scared me. And I'll tell you that I'm not not quite perfect at it yet. I When I first started doing this, the course, and then getting right into it, I was every day, twice a day, the 20 minutes. And 
great. Like I was really creating this habit. And then somewhere I started to get looser around the 20 minutes in the PM. And then sometimes I skip the AM and, and creating that consistency twice a day, 20 minutes doing this has been challenging for me. Do you have any mindset tips on how to create this, really create this habit and make it ingrained in your body? Just like we eat every day, we sleep. How do you make this practice an everyday no brainer? It just happens. Well, first, let me say uh, everything that you explained about your journey is beautiful and that unfolding. And um, that's the joy of the practice working Mm -hmm. naturally. And and just to kind of highlight um, everything you already know, just meditation just allows for you to actually start living it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so when you say like, oh, I've known this or this or that, Mm -hmm. it's because we were so in our heads and stuck in our intellects, that's what inhibited us from actually living that authentically. And so now you're experiencing um, living more authentically. And because the practice is about witnessing and, and being the observer, that's what you're starting to do in life, which then allows for us to be um, move away from being reactive and start to be responsive and start to learn what are those consequences and letting go of, um, I think the most beautiful thing as a meditator, we start to let go of the need to be right. Um, that's huge. And you're starting to have those experiences. And when we experience life from that place, more harmony starts to happen. Um, you know, there's always going to be friction and conflict, but how you deal with it is is what it's about. Um, how you let it roll off of you like water. You, know, you talk a lot about the water. That was really how you described everything is very beautiful and pleasing as a teacher to hear. And as, you know, a human being, essentially. Um, but going back to making your practice regular, as I listen to you, um, it makes me smile, actually, because everybody's journey is different. And so as a teacher, I'm coming from a different perspective, uh, especially with the yogic tradition, essentially. We're not here to be perfect. That's not what it's about. We're here to be perfectly imperfect. And you're starting to experience that and be okay with that. It's okay that you miss meditation. Just come back to it and keep doing it, right? Okay, I missed one here. Maybe I missed two. And the thing is, in the Western culture, if you're like me, it sounds like we share this, and I'm sure many, many, many people share this, is um, the ailment of perfectionism. I had it deeply, and it stunted me from a lot. The Between the perfectionism and the criticism, whew, my God, if you could only sit in my head, I mean, you wouldn't have wanted to. And um, everyone's journey when we begin the practice, some people, some of us who are perfectionists, we need to miss meditations because we need to loosen up. And it's okay. Because we have the perfectionism on our side, which then translates to discipline, in the long run, we'll continue to do the practice. That's okay. We might be somebody who starts the meditation and we're not a type A personality, right? And so we pick up the meditation and I've heard, and there's actually a colleague of mine, very close, he was in India with me, um, 
Alex Soderberg. He's in uh, Arizona and hopefully coming to Denver. Anyway, he his journey was he started off for the first year and he only did one meditation every day. And that, that suited him. And then all of a sudden, naturally, something just clicked and it shifted. And he started doing twice a day. He picked that back up. And he started seeing this massive movement and expansion and change. And one year later, he found himself already going to apply to become a Vedic meditation teacher. The following year, he was in India and he was training. And now he's an amazing teacher. So just from that perspective of just let it unfold. You know, if you were like me, I just got the practice and I just did the practice. Something innately in me already knew, just do this. Because I was in a place, quite honestly, for those people who get depressed and suicidal, that was my frame of mind. I don't care if I die or if I live. So whatever, right? And I got to meditation, was feeling hopeless, like whatever to life, like death kind of seems better than this world. That's how I was. So when I started meditating, it, it was coming from a perspective of, well, something has to work to make me feel better. And so I knew sitting that I was already feeling better. And so that was, that's what got me to the practice was, well, okay, this is working. Oh my God, I'm feeling better. Oh my God. Okay. I'm not perfect. I still have a long journey to go, but I'm not feeling that hopelessness anymore. It's less and less and less. And so that was my journey of, I just didn't really miss because I knew it was at that time what I would say my medicine, like, you know, that was my Mary Poppins spoonful of sugar every day. <laughs> and I knew it was working. So I definitely wasn't going to miss it nor throw it away. And so in that sense of one, from my teacher perspective, just let it unfold. But from the other perspective, you need to know why you're doing the practice. So when you mm -hmm. sign up to do something, anything in life, why are you doing it? What's your intention and what's your vision? And I'm not, from a Vedic meditation perspective, as you go deeper into the practice, goal setting and those types of things fall away. Why? Because you're starting to merge with what nature wants, not what your ego wants, something very different. So you, it's more... It's more being in the right place at the right time, more being a subtle person and picking up the impulses in the right moment, the impulses of the future and the now. It's a very different um, way of being, which is actually our natural way of being. So goal setting in general falls away? It does. Mm. What you What starts to happen is clarity. And what clarity brings is then vision. And then when you have a vision, you have big picture vision, then you know how to then micromanage. You know how to say yes to the right things. Do you know, oh, well, that fits in my vision. So yeah, I'll do that. Or you just start yeah. just saying, really, we come from the perspective of just saying yes to everything. I know no matter what I say yes to something, I might know that that's not going to unfold. But I'll still say yes, because I'm saying yes to the universe. And then it might divert me in a different way. So I know I'm just let the river take me. And so it comes from a very different place. There's a knowingness. So it's not like hippie-like, like, oh, I'm just going to sit here and it's going to come to me. That mentality needs to go away. You have to put effort in something. You know, you have to show up to something. I'll extract the word effort. You must show up. So you show up to your practice twice a day. That then gets you to start to go into the flow. 
And you start to see those results and that starts feeding you. In the beginning, we're looking for results. After a while, we don't care about those things. We're just in the flow. But in the beginning, you need to know why you're doing this. So for me in the very beginning, because I was depressed and suicidal, my vision and intention was not to be that way anymore, that I wanted to be happy. I wanted to be like, oh, yeah, this feels good. And so that was my intention of why I was doing the practice. And so for each person, it's going to be different. It might be you're an artist and it's going to enhance your creativity. You might be somebody who has the worst insomnia ever and you've been battling it most of your life. And so you're going to meditate so you can start sleeping well. It's one of the, one of the number one outcomes of meditation is that insomnia starts to go away. I'm depressed and that starts, that veil starts lifting. Maybe it's, um, you know, more creating more opportunity or business, right? A lot of businesses are starting to become savvy. Why? Because uh, of doing meditation, it creates creativity. You know, you want to be creative and we need to be abundant human beings. We need to receive. We need to open up to all of that. So my recommendation always in the beginning, if you need to write it on a mirror and if you need to do goal setting and all of that, there's levels to all of this, it's not black and white, right? So in the beginning, intention, vision, if you need a goal. Um, I love the Insight um, Timer app uh, that I recommend for all my students yeah. because it's not about keeping a timer because we don't keep timers. So it's not about like beep, 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 I'm done right at 20 minutes because you're doing 20 minutes twice a day. It's not that at all. You put it on and you have an idea of the 20 minutes, but it's really for those of us in the beginning that need to see results, it logs all of that. So you're like, oh my God, I meditated five days in a row and I did twice a day and it keeps a log and a record of it all, how many minutes that you've done. And so in that sense, you you have a sense of accomplishment and that feels good. Okay, I did that. I hit a milestone. They literally have little milestones like 10 days or 100 days. And that's like the star, the gold star that you get. And those are nice things in the beginning. As as time goes with the practice, you know, that stuff will fall away. It will all fall away. It won't, it won't matter as long as you're continuing to do the practice. Yeah, those are, I love that balance perspective. Both of those things are really, really, really valuable because there is the one part of like knowing your intention and the why and, and then also being kind to yourself of how you're showing up. And for me, the intention was really probably three things for at the, the time in that one present moment. I was like, I really want to learn how to let go of these thoughts. I want to stop having this, the same thoughts all the time over and over and over again. And one of them was I wanted to need less sleep, which I'm still focusing on, but I am, well, I wouldn't say focusing. I'm still, that's still one of my intentions is needing less sleep because I was a 10 hour, nine hour sleeper. And Mm. I know with more meditation, you get deeper rest. Yes. And so you don't need the sleep quite as much. And now I'm around seven hours and that's That's great. Great progress for me. Yeah. And it's good because I I could live more. And I I was like really feeling like I was sleeping my life away. And I was like, I need to not need so much sleep. And so now my goal is to be able to do a little less and a little less and eventually get to where you are one day when the time is right, where I can have three hours or four hours and (laughs) still be fine and be awake. 
Um, and then, yeah, and I think the third reason was really being able to p apply all the stuff I read and, and learn about and hear from my teachers such as you or um, business coaches or books that I'm reading about uh, toxic relationships or self-love, whatever it may be, actually being able to apply those into my life more, being able to slow down and pause long enough to think about and make think about the situation or make choices like we were saying earlier. So I love that. <laughs> and I love the insight timer. That's helped me a lot because you can turn the you can turn the ring off so it can get to 20 mm -hmm. minutes, 21 minutes, and you still won't know and you can really be present in the moment. Um, so I love that. Okay. So we are over an hour now. I want to wrap <laughs> this beautiful interview up by asking you a few questions in the quick fire round. But right before that, sure. I want to ask you, where can people connect with you to learn more about what you're doing and learn more about Vedic meditation? Um, great question. I am literally opening a brand new center a meditation and conscious living center here in Boulder that'll be on Pearl Street. It's called the Subtle Mind. So you can refer to that website, mind you, because it's new. We're still constructing it, but it, it's www.thesubtlemind. And uh, the way, you know, subtle is a good way to remember how to spell it. Um, and then there's also my own personal website, which is www.yashodadevima.com. And then I'm also on Instagram under Yashoda Devi Ma. And I'm also on Facebook under Yashoda Devi Ma. Um, so you can find out more about that. Um, and I have a lecture. If you're in Colorado, if you're in Denver, if you're in Boulder, I am doing a Vedic meditation intro talk. That's free. And it's this Sunday, um, December 3rd. And it's from uh, 5 p.m. until 6 p.m. But you can go on the website. I do. I'm going to be doing twice a month. Um courses, one that's during the week and then one that'll be on the weekend. So that'll be offered. And then I also travel. So I go to New York regularly. I go to LA. I teach in India. If you ever feel like hopping on a plane and learning in India, you can always do that. Um, and I do retreats all around the world and I teach at festivals. So I'll be at uh, probably be at Hanuman Festival this year. I'm kind of cutting back on yoga festivals, but <clears throat> and then I have a few podcasts um, that you can link to on my website as well. And that that's about it for now. More to come. Beautiful. And I will make sure that I have all those links, the links to The Subtle Mind, the link to your website, to your Instagram, all that on the show notes for this episode, which is 181. And that would be awesome if any of you listeners are in Colorado and maybe we'll, we'll meet in person at one of Yashoda's events or talks. So quick fire round time. I'll just ask you a few. And so whatever sure. comes to mind first. Okay. Just... That'll be your answer, okay. um, which well, I'm sure will be effortless for you. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> okay. In this moment, what are three words to describe you? Um, happy. Graceful. And busy. <laughs> if you could live anywhere in the world besides home, Boulder, where would it be? 
my mind goes to Tulum, Mexico. What did you eat for breakfast? Uh, Mandarin oranges. What's your biggest quality turn on in a partner? Consciousness and intelligence. Mm. Who are three people you'd invite to the perfect dinner party? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Three people. Well, the Dalai Lama. Madonna. (laughs) Oh. I can't think of a third one. Two people at a perfect dinner party is still perfect. Perfect. We can do that. Um, What's your favorite meal right now? Oh, my favorite meal is anything with kale in it. (laughs) Kale kale with ghee and you've got me sold. Mm, That sounds so good. What is a must-read book? Oh, I am forgetting the name, but it's the brand new book by Satguru. Um, The Inner Engineer, something like that. Please read that. Okay, cool. I'll have that link. On the show notes, The Inner Engineer. If you had a movie about your life, who would you cast to play it? Current actress. Oh, wow. Kate Hudson. Aw, I could see that. I love her. I love her, too. She's so cute. <laughs> She's amazing. She's a little more, like, perkier than me, but She's it would be an honor. <laughs> <laughs> pretty high activity but yeah i could see that she's a meditator too oh is she i love yeah she does the same technique her and her mom i watch her on uh, i watch her on snapchat and she is so funny she's so cute i know i love her (sighs) if you had a talk show what would you name it elevate Ooh, i like that it's good elevate and boulder okay and last question i will ask you is this one would be interesting. If you were stranded on an island, what three items would you want to take with you? Oh, wow. My toothbrush and toothpaste, because <laughs> I really like my teeth being clean. I sound like I'm five. My pillow and my blankie. Those are good. <laughs> my cashmere blanket and my pillow. I feel like that's a solid, that's a solid crew of Island essentials. Yeah. I'm set. I asked my sister that question and she was like, um, a fridge and (laughs) my phone for Instagram and a glass of wine (laughs) or she said a bottle of wine so she could store the wine in the fridge and then take a picture of the wine on the Island with her Instagram. I was like, okay. (laughs) Hilarious. I love it. That was really funny. Okay, Yashoda, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This was so much fun. And I'm That's so much fun. Yeah, Such a you're pleasure. Amazing. You're amazing at speaking and sharing and I I'm really excited about I'm just really grateful for having met you and for having uh-huh. taken your course and now sharing it with my clients and now sharing it with all of the thousands of listeners and and who knows where it'll go from here. So I'm I'm just really blessed and fortunate and thank you for for being here and your presence and for your teachings 
Thank you. You're fabulous at what you do. And it was, um, it was an honor and a joy. I've been smiling the whole time. So, so thank you. You and, are uh, so welcome. Thank you to all the listeners. I hope that it inspires you to work on mind health. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And everyone, if you want to get the links, as we talked about everything that you um, want to find, you showed at on her Facebook and website and the book we mentioned, you can go to maddiemoon.com slash you showed at Debbie Ma. Or you can go over to the podcast section in iTunes and you'll see this episode there or on Stitcher. Again, this is episode 181. And on my website, while you're there, if you have not yet downloaded the free audio guide I've got there for you called The Four Pillars of Femininity for Perfectionists, you can get that for free. And I hope you guys had a wonderful holiday and you're excited for Christmas. If you celebrate, it's December. This is awesome. And let me know if you have any questions at all about this episode or any other episodes. You can email me hello at maddiemoon.com and I'll see you guys next week.